Okay, so uh, hopefully you've already turned to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Um, I'll read verses 21 to 35. If you haven't, I'll just give you a sec to turn there. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll read that for us today. So my Bible reads, um, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him a slave who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they began, they, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord um, what had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? even as I have had mercy on you. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should should repay all that was owed to him. And so shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So today I want to, before we dive into our passage, I wanted to just take a few steps back and um, start in verse 15, just to give us a little running start into our passage. So in verse 15, we have Jesus um, is beginning a, um, a different teaching. It says there in verse 15, And if your brother sins against you, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. So notice here we have the beginning of our context is with a brother sinning against another brother. Now I want you to keep this in mind and remember this observation, and we're going to come back to this later. So after this, verse 15, Jesus continues to teach about how to approach another brother that's sinning. In 16, he says, if he doesn't listen to you privately, take one or two more. 17, then if he refuses then to turn back, you um, tell the church, and if he refuses, refuses then, then he's treated as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. So with this teaching now, when we jump to our verse here in 21, we can see how it actually makes um, a lot of sense why Peter now comes to the next logical question that he says in 21, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother's sin against me? Shall it be up to seven times? 
if he's going to have to continue to go and approach his brother, um, whether it's by himself or with other people at the church, how many times is he going to have to do this? Um, and at first glance, when he says seven times, it seems very random. And I, I listened to a, a couple sermons and one pastor, they said two different things. One pastor said something I don't think is necessarily the case here. Um, but I'll tell you it anyways. The first pastor said um, that Peter chose this number, number seven, because it's the perfect number of the Bible. Now, I'm not sure if this is true. And if it is true, um, I don't know if this is necessarily why Peter chose this here. It doesn't seem to fit necessarily with what's going on here. So I would not suggest that approach to this passage. The next pastor suggested, which I think um, is true and, and is correct. He said that, so at this time in the Bible, um, the rabbis actually taught that God only forgives up to three times. And so Peter, um, being most likely taught by these teachers, would also have had that same understanding. Now, you may ask, well, where did they get that from? And that was my question as well. So I'll show you in um, Amos chapter 1, verse 9. There it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of tear and for four I will not revoke its punishment. Um, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of the brotherhood. So this phrase is actually spoken multiple times within chapters 1 and 2 of Amos. I just chose one to give you an example. So with this here, we can see that Peter would be approaching this as 3 would be the maximum that God would do. Um, and it's interesting that it almost seems like Peter now, wanting to be almost like extra godly in a sense, decides to double what God would do, and add an extra one for good measure. Almost thinking in his head, it couldn't be more than that. Possibly, there's no way that it could be more than that. But Jesus' response now, I think, rocks his world with this understanding from verse um, 22. So there that says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times. So Jesus takes Peter's proposal, which is already from his understanding, double and more of what God would do, and times it by 70. I just think now, imagine the look of shock and confusion on Peter's face when he heard that, just absolutely flooring what he understood. Peter already thought he was way over and above the standard of what God had taught. So now, why 70 times 70? Again, seemingly random number that, you know, Jesus could have said a hundred times seven or, you know, infinite. Why 70 times seven? Well, it's not super clear to exactly why uh, Jesus chose this number, but I have a possible hunch that I can give you. Um, and it comes from Genesis chapter four. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the, the Lamech from Genesis chapter four, but he, um, he is a descendant of Cain. Shortly, it was a, 
a few generations after uh, Cain. And um, for those that don't remember, uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. And then God um, basically said that he was to be avenged seven times um, because of what he'd done. And so Lamech now says this after... um, after later in Genesis chapter four, it says, and Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech for I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77 fold. So with this here in chapter, chapter four of Genesis, it seems possible that if in the Old Testament one is to be avenged 70 times 7 for sinful behavior, that in the New Testament one could be redeemed or forgiven 70 times 7. Now, we don't know for sure if Jesus was thinking about Lamech when he responded to Peter, but regardless, Jesus was trying to prove a point with this number. 70 times 7 equals 490. And I don't believe Jesus was trying to say that if your brother was to sin against you 491 times, you wouldn't forgive him that last one. 490 times is a very large number. A number that would be difficult to keep track of. A number that is so large, it almost feels impossible to imagine forgiving someone that many times, let alone actually like doing that. So how could this level of forgiveness be done? Well, God in the kingdom of heaven gives us it our example, starting in verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slave. So our parable starts with a king who wishes to settle his accounts with his slaves. He's obviously very wealthy if he can make loans to people. And because he loaned out these slaves, he also has the right to demand what is owed and to be returned to him. And there is nothing abnormal about him requesting this from his slaves. As as he is settling now his accounts, there comes a slave to him that owes him 10,000 talents. And we see this in verse 24. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who had owed him 10,000 talents. So there's a couple ways um, we can look at the value of 10,000 talents. So I'll give you two options. My Bible's footnote says that 10,000 talents is the equivalent to $10 million in silver but it's also worth much more in buying power. So that I found that interpretation was a little bit hard to grasp the amount. Um, Whereas one of the sermons I listened to, they uh, actually found that one talent um, equaled anywhere between 15 to 20 years of wages for a slave. So in this case, this slave would have owed up anywhere between 15 to 20,000 years worth of wages. So, in other words, the debt that this slave owed was unpayable in his lifetime. There was no way in his or even his family's lifetime that he would ever um, repay this debt. 
So with this unpayable debt, the king gives him a payment option for his repayment. In verse 25, it says, But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, to settle his payment. So he was told to sell himself and all his family. If this was done, his debt would be paid. And notice that the king did not physically threaten him or harm him in any way to get his payment. He did not try to manipulate or intimidate him. These are things that wouldn't seem too weird for a king and not a type of authority to do to his slave. But no, instead of a simple request for repayment on what was owed, and also a consequence for not being able to follow through on repayment. So we see in verse 26 now that the slave did not accept selling himself or his family. And there it reads, The slave therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. The slave fell flat on his face and begged the king. He begged him for patience so he could be paying back all that he owed. He did not want to be sold and did not want to sell his family and all his possessions. And remember now, the king had every right to demand what he owed. It's not his fault that the slave could not pay him back. The slave made his choices, so it only makes sense that he would suffer the consequences. Now, instead of the king exercising harsh authority, he takes a different route with the slave. In verse 27. And the Lord of that slave now felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So because of the compassion the king felt towards the slave, he released him and forgave all of his debt. A debt that was unpayable. This, is a, this act of mercy is huge. I imagine now the amount of gratitude that would be flowing out of his body would be indescribable. Going from a place where he was going to have to sell himself and his family to now nothing, owed nothing, set completely free as if the debt never existed. It's definitely something I am guessing the slave was never expecting from the king. Now, with the slave recently forgiven, you would expect him to be riding this emotional high, looking to share his excitement and gratitude everywhere he went. A huge smile on his face. He was just set free from a lifetime and more of debt. So what does the slave do next then with this gratitude that was shown to him, that was graciousness that was shown to him? In verse 28, we read, But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So in this verse, we learn that here that the slave owns his own slaves as well. And he decides to go out and find one of those slaves that owes him. Now this slave owed a hundred denarii, which works out to about a hundred days' wages, One denarii is about one day's wage. This is much, much smaller amount of debt owed here than the king owed, than the king's slave that owed the king. Notice the description of how the slave approaches his slave for debt repayment. I'll read it again. 
says he seized him and began to choke him. See, the slave, he was extremely physical, intimidating, manipulative. The exact opposite approach from the king's interaction that he had previously and was shown as an example. He decided to use fear with his authority over his slave to demand back what was owed. And interestingly, he gets the same response that he gave to the king from his slave in verse 29. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. Now this slave's debt is much more realistic to actually be repaid. So when he asks this request of patience, it seems very reasonable. With the gracious act of forgiveness done to the king's slave, you think, how could he not have forgiven his own slave? He knew exactly what it was like to be in this guy's shoes, on the ground, begging for patience, humbling himself before his master. If anything, he understood the position to a greater extent because his debt was unpayable. Sadly, his response to his slave was not like the king in verse 30. He was willing, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. The slave here felt no compassion for his debtor. He was unwilling to be patient and forgiving. Instead, he exercised his authority and punished his slave until his debt was repaid. So what happened to the king's slave that was just forgiven this life-altering amount of debt? He seems like a completely different person than you would expect. And it seems so odd that he could so quickly forget what was, what was done for him. Now, what happened here between his slave, it was such an abnormal action after what had been done for him that even his own fellow slaves noticed and were so uncomfortable, they confronted the king about him. And we see that in verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported the Lord to all that, all that had happened. So his actions were external. People saw them and they, they were uncomfortable. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was um, something that was evident for people to see. And now the king knowing this now, that had happened, he summons the slave back to him for a little chat in verses 32 and verses 33. There it says, then summoning him, he said, said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the, the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slaves, even, of, even as I had mercy on you? So notice a few things here. Notice the king deemed his actions wicked. Why? He had the right, didn't he? He had the right to go and get his money back that, he, that was owed him. But notice in verse 33, the rhetorical question that's asked to the slaves, the king's slave. He says there, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have? The king's question there says to him that the slave was expected 
to show mercy to the same extent that was shown to him. Remember, this guy had an unpayable debt, a debt that could not be covered on his own. There was nobody that could have owed more than him. And forgiving his own slave's debt was a small fraction of what he owed, and it shouldn't have been a walk, and it should have just been a walk in the park to forgive him. And the fact that his fellow slaves were so grieved by what he did also shows us that even they expected him to show forgiveness in the same way that was shown to him. Everyone understood but him. Now seeing these two scenarios with these with the king and his slave and the slave and his slave there's one key observation I want you to remember from these. In both scenarios of the people that owed the debt, they both understood they owed it. There was no question. They both understood the amount. They did not debate it. And they also understood that it was owed to someone. And in both scenarios, the king and his slave, they also both had the right to take back what was theirs. But I think the king here shows us a very important lesson. And I sum it in this uh, sentence here. With what the action that king does to his slave first shows us that mercy and forgiveness are superior to your right to receive what is owed. So what does the king do now with the wicked slave of his? Well, verse 34 says, And his lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers, until he should repay all that was owed to him. The slave now faces punishment for his wickedness. The grace which was once extended to him is now revoked, and he will face physical torture for the rest of his life. Now, interestingly enough, before his confrontation with his slave, he was in good standing with the king, forgiven. And after his actions towards his slave, his unforgiveness towards his debt, his forgiveness now is taken away and he faces judgment for what he owes and his actions. So how does God relate to this parable now? We see in verse 35, Jesus tells us. There it says, So will my fatherly uh, my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So Jesus is saying here that the same fate of the king's slave awaits those that do not forgive your brother's sin against you. Remember, this is the bookend of our context of our passage. Verse 15 talks about how it's a brother sinning against another brother. Peter's question about how many times he'll forgive his sin against his brother. And we have 35, Jesus telling us, uh, this will happen to us if we do not forget, excuse me, a brother um, sin from our heart. So the king, the king's slave represents a brother in Christ that was once forgiven of his debt. But because he would not forgive another's debt, the king, who represents God, will no longer forgive his. 
So when we choose to not forgive another believer, we will suffer massive eternal consequences. And from verse 33, we can see clearly that it is, it, that it is expected of us to forgive because we are forgiven. Now, because Jesus is specifically teaching here in, this, in our passage today, forgiving, forgiveness within the church, does that mean it doesn't extend beyond the church to people outside? Well, I have three passages here that would suggest that forgiveness does extend outside. First one is Matthew chapter 6. And forgive us, Jesus is teaching this with um, the daily, um, um, he's teaching us with the, um, oh, I can't think of it right now. But he's teaching about praying and um, he says here, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, 15, he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. So interesting about this passage is it's, you know, 12 chapters behind. And so Jesus was teaching about this way prior to this, um, our, our passage today. The next one is in uh, Proverbs 19, verse 11. And there it says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Next, we have Mark eleven twenty five Again, another teaching from Jesus. He says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. So we can see here the importance of us reflecting God's forgiveness upon others and the consequences of not doing that. We can see that in the church and outside of the church. So God is waiting and willing to forgive you of your sin, your unpayable debt. But the question is, are you willing to show the same level of forgiveness that's been graciously given to you? So how does this apply to us now? With this parable and Jesus' teaching. Well, forgiveness is the core expression of the Christian faith. See, without forgiveness, we have no relationship with God. Remember, he is the one that offers forgiveness to us first. He initiated the reconciliation between man and God. He shows us the example of his love and forgiveness with our own sin. Our unpayable debt that only can be paid for with blood. Romans 6.23 John MacArthur had a quote that I thought summed this up very well. He said, Never are you more like God when you forgive, and never are you less like God when you will not forgive. Expressing forgiveness is expressing God's character that was shown to you. The first book of John, chapter 1, verse 9, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. This isn't a one-time thing. Over and over again, throughout our walk with him, he will be faithful to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says we are to be imitators of God. 
And as imitators, we must show forgiveness with no limits, just as our Heavenly Father shows us. There is no sin against Him that He cannot forgive, and no limits to His forgiveness. Now I want you to turn, we're going to turn to two examples today in your Bible of an expression of forgiveness that was shown in the Bible. And I think it was very impactful to me. It is, I would say it's on the very far end of the most extreme way that you could forgive someone. Example, it's not something that any of us have dealt with in ourselves, but it's something that was very impactful for me. So the first one I want you to turn to is in Acts chapter 7. I'll give you a second to flip there. Acts chapter 7. Um, and there, um, if you've never read this before, um, Stephen um, is a Christian here. And he's being persecuted and he's being stoned to death. And um, while he's being stoned to death, in verse 60, before he dies... It says there, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having this, he fell asleep. And our next example is in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. So there, again, it's the crucifixion of Jesus, a story we are all pretty familiar with. And Jesus there, in 34, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. These two examples are extremely powerful. These two men went to their grave while forgiving the ones that were killing them. I think back to the wrongs and hurts that have been done to me. And they lie nowhere near this. And all the times that I had trouble forgiving people that have hurt me or I acted out because of unforgiveness, these are extremely powerful examples. I'm very convicted personally and humbled by these examples, and I hope you are as well. It's hard to imagine getting to a place where you would do something like that, but I think it's very challenging to our faith and it's something that I think we should continue to always keep in our minds and think about and reflect on when people have hurt us. So a question you may be asking yourself now then is, how do you know if someone in your life, if if there is someone in your life that you haven't forgiven? Well, the answer is your emotions and your decisions towards or around that person in comparison to how you treat other people will show you that you have forgiveness or you've forgiven them. So for example, if you have unforgiveness, it may show up in these areas and more. I just chose three, three questions. So do you avoid or behave less social towards a person? Someone just just bothers you in a way that you just don't want to socialize with them. And that could restrict a lot of things, whether it's relationship or sharing the gospel with them just because they hurt you in some way. 
Is your patience or temper abnormally lower towards a particular person? Like, are you quick to anger? Now, this could be a variety of things. This could be as um, quick as something as like, I think of like road rage, let's say. Someone cuts you off, uh, just triggers you. Or, you know, maybe it's someone in your family or a friend of yours that um, just seems to get under your skin quite quickly. You may have some unforgiveness there. Are there people in your life that you just never offer help to because they've hurt you? Um, uh, An example of this I was thinking of the other day is um, sometimes people don't get along with their neighbors. And so sometimes it's really easy, you know, if if your lawns connect, that when you're mowing your lawn, you say, well, even though he mowed mine, my front this week, I'm, I don't want to mow his. Um, I don't really like him. He's, he's kind of a old grumpy guy, for example. And he's just mean to me. There's many of other scenarios and different questions to think about, but it's something to start thinking about with the relationships and people that are in your circle and maybe outside. Why they're outside of your circle and why, why, why you're not letting them in. So when we get stuck in our emotional or physical hurts, it is expressed in the way we feel and act towards people or that person. Now this takes practice and awareness sometimes to see that this is happening. Sometimes we may have to approach each other and tell, and if we see this, or sometimes you can be conscious of your feelings and notice that you are starting to behave differently around certain people And when this comes up, try and remember it. Just because the moments pass doesn't mean that you can't deal with it next time. Remember this. Talk to somebody about how you're feeling and or emotions towards this person. And try to figure out where this hurt came from. So you can set yourself free with forgiveness. And now not be stuck Um, treating a person a certain way. Now, the healing that comes from these actions or event may also take time. The deeper the wound, the longer it may take to heal. But just because sometimes the feelings of forgiveness and things do like that do not come right away does not mean that the act of forgiveness cannot be shown in an instant. See, God does not make us earn our forgiveness to him, so neither should we to the ones that hurt us. A common saying in our culture is to forgive and forget. But understand that each wound is different, and sometimes the severity of the hurt may make it difficult to ever forget. Some are so small um, that your spouse may bring up and say, Hey, sorry, I did this. And I, you know, I did this back then or whatever. And you say, I don't even remember it. It was, you know, water on a duck's back. But a good illustration I think about is like a cut. The deeper the cut is the bigger the scar. And that scar could stay there for the rest of your life. Sometimes it can go barely noticeable. 
But although the scar is there, and although you may not forget it, it doesn't mean that the forgiveness cannot set you free from the power that that wound holds and change the way that you treat treat people. So I want to end with one illustration about the, the power that unforgiveness holds. I don't remember where I heard this. Um, someone told it to me once. So sorry if you don't get credit for this. But the illustration goes as this. Unforgiveness is like a prison cell that you are in. And the door is wide open. The only one keeping you there is yourself. God has shown us with example how to leave this cell. The question is, are you going to follow in his ways? So I have four lessons for you guys today. Lesson one. God is willing and faithful to forgive our sins against him, no matter how many or how sinful. We all have an unpayable debt. And God is willing to forgive that. I can always come back to these if you need to write them down more. Lesson two. As Christians, we are to express the same level of forgiveness shown to us by God to the people that have hurt us. Lesson three. There are eternal consequences for believers who have received God's forgiveness in their own lives, yet will not extend forgiveness to others. Our parable is a perfect picture of that. Remember with the king's slave being forgiven, he's now looked at from the king as if the debt never existed. And because of his unforgiveness, the king says, now you will owe me all that you that you must, all of your debt, you must now repay. Lesson four, judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts and any questions you have. Uh, Hopefully I covered as much um, of that as you could and I'm sure there's much more to be said.